this morning. So turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. And uh, let's begin reading this morning in verse number 3. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. That's the requirement for the seven men. Honest report, filled with the Holy Spirit, and men of wisdom. It says in verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer, and to the ministry of the word of God. And the same pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Father, as we come together at this time, Lord, we've opened up your word. And I'm asking you, Lord, I'm asking you humbly. There's nothing that I could do today that is of any value without your help. Empower me with your spirit. Get a hold of our attention. And let us understand your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In the late 1800s, really the early 1900s, there was a great evangelistic movement that happened throughout our country and parts of Europe. One of the great evangelists that we often read about, and we have a number of his sermons, and there's lots of biographies been written on him, is a man by the name of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was known for having thousands of people who would come out to hear him preach, and he was not a very well-educated man. But God used him powerfully. There was a time where a group of preachers and a community were considering coming together and having a great evangelistic campaign. And one of the pastors made mention, they said, if we're going to do this, we need to secure D.L. Moody to be our preacher. And another pastor said, why? Does D.L. Moody have a monopoly on revival meetings? The pastor recommended him, said no. But one thing is for sure, the Holy Spirit has a monopoly over D.L. Moody. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? I wanted to begin this morning in chapter 6. Because we've looked at in the recent weeks, and of course we just installed our new deacons here at the church last Sunday night, and we've looked at Acts chapter 6 a number of times, and there there's a list of individuals. Chapter 7, in the end of chapter 6, Stephen is the 
He was the first one mentioned in the list. And we saw that he was a man filled with faith and a man filled with the Holy Spirit. He's a man that faced unbelievable lies and persecution towards him. Things that people just made up. Even to the point that they, they stoned him to death. But through the midst of it all, he was a man of great faith. And when we think of the fruit of the Holy Spirit mentioned in Galatians chapter 5, you look at a man like that filled with love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. And you look at Stephen, you say, that was a man that was filled with the Spirit of God. And then a couple of weeks ago, we got to chapter 8. And, and the second one mentioned is one named Philip. And Philip, to be chosen, was also a man filled with the Spirit of God. That means God directed his steps. He was one that was looking to the Lord. And even in the midst of persecution that was sweeping through Jerusalem following his co-laborers, just gruesome murder. Philip leaves Jerusalem and he doesn't run for his life, but he is now being used of God to spread the gospel to the other parts of the world. We looked a few weeks ago at how he went into Samaria. And the Jews had nothing to do with the Samaritans, wanted nothing to do with them at all. There's a history there that goes back to their captivity. The Samaritans wanted nothing to do with the Jews. Even the 12 disciples, when Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria, and he sits down at a well waiting for a Samaritan woman to come, so that he could speak to her personally. When the apostles, they had went and got some food and things, and they come back and they see Jesus speaking to the Samaritan woman, and they question, why is he doing that? Why is he speaking to her? And this woman who had been married several times and was not even the man that she was living with at that time was not even married to. Jesus took the time to pour into her personally to the point that she goes back into her village and she says, come see a man, come hear a man, come know a man that knows everything there is about me. And the men and the women in her village come and they said, you know, we came because of what she had to say but now we believe because we hear you ourself. <coughs> Jesus told the twelve, he says, when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, I begin in Jerusalem, but also go outside of the city and go to Judea and even go to Samaria. People who you may not normally sit down with, go to them. And don't stop there, go to the far reaches of the world. And tell them the love of God that is revealed in His Son in the death, the burial, and resurrection of our Savior. 
Under persecution, Philip, he, he went and he preached Christ unto the Samaritans. Many of them believed. We focused the last me, uh, message on Simon. But let us realize many in that city became believers. There was a great stirring. I don't know of a preacher in the world who wouldn't want to go and see dozens, if not hundreds of people come to accept Christ as their Savior and begin a great work there. But then the Lord does something you might consider strange. The Lord asks, he doesn't ask, he tells Philip to leave Samaria and go to a desert place. I want you to look with me in verse 26 of Acts chapter 8. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. That is, that is God's orders. Doesn't tell him why. Doesn't tell him what's going to happen. He just tells him, I want you to go. And the Bible says in verse 27, he arose and went. Philip, a man filled with the Spirit of God, a man filled with faith, developed a habit of listening to God and obeying Him. Are you with me? He had developed a habit of listening to the Lord and obeying Him. That's why God used him so powerfully and mightily. I am afraid... And I'll include myself in this statement. We are so busy that we're not listening. We already have our agenda set. Our schedule, my schedule for next week is filling up fast. We're busy doing things and we have an agenda that we've got to take care of. And if we're not careful, we stop listening. Lots of people just got saved, Larry. God is blessing mightily. And yet the Lord tells Philip, okay, I'm done with you here. I want you to go somewhere else. And the Bible doesn't give us Philip's excuses he doesn't say, well, Lord, you're using me right here. Lord, we're just getting started here. The Lord can handle that. God can handle that. What I'm responsible for is what God is telling me today. He says, I want you to go toward the south under the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Philip arose and went. And when he, when he got there in verse 27, there was a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority 
under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. There's a man sitting there in a chariot, a black man. He is a man of authority in his country. He is in charge of the queen's treasures. He is a man of responsibility, but he is a man that is interested in religion. He's interested in God. He's interested in faith. And the Bible says that he is sitting there in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet in verse 28. He's reading the Bible. He's reading, there is no book of Acts at this time. There is no Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There is no Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And there is no Romans road at this time. Are you with me? He's reading Isaiah the prophet. And as we read further, he doesn't understand what he's reading. But it's speaking to him. He knows there's something powerful in what he is reading. But here is a man that is searching for truth. He wants truth. And Philip has followed the Lord this far. And in verse 29, the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. Evidently, God had gotten Philip's attention. And Philip notices this this man sitting in this chariot. He doesn't know what he's doing, but the Spirit of God says, I want you to go. I want you to go to this man and join thyself with him. And Brian, he does not say, Lord, he's a black man. God is not a racist. And I'm tired of Christians being that way. And a man filled with the Spirit wasn't concerned about the color of another man's skin. The Lord said, go and join thyself unto him. And Philip's response in verse 30, he ran thither to him. He ran to him. He did not say, why, Lord? He did not say, what am I supposed to do when I get there? He just got there in a hurry. You want to know why it seems like a lot of times we're losing ground? 
For one, it's we quit listening. We're not listening to the Lord. Our ears aren't open. Our heart is not open. We wouldn't know if the Holy Spirit spoke to us if he ran over us with a truck. We wouldn't know it. We're busy. But occasionally, maybe we've slowed down enough and that spirit's nudging says, I want you to go speak to this individual. And sometimes we offer excuses. Oh, they'll make fun of me. They'll laugh at me. We need young men who will stand for truth wherever they are. And it's not going to be easy for you. I was having this conversation with my boys the other day. I said, I appreciate your heart for the Lord. I appreciate that you're trying to do the right thing. And they're all in public school and they hear things that they wouldn't hear at the house. And we talk about that. And recently I had a conversation with them and I told them this important statement. I said, boys, it's not enough for you to be considered a good young man. It's not enough for you to be recognized as a, as a, as a young man who goes to church and doesn't cuss and doesn't drink, doesn't go to places he shouldn't be. It's not enough. It's not enough. Because if all that anyone ever says about us, Dylan, is that we're good people, we have failed. And I told him there's some positive in that because when people struggle, they know who to turn to. They know who to go talk to, who to ask to pray for them. There's some pluses to that. I said, but you're never piercing darkness by just being considered a good person. And we have to get to a place where we're willing to enter darkness and be a light. And most of us are scared of that. We're terrified of that. And so when we do hear the Holy Spirit nudge us and say, go, we say, whoa. Lord, that's not my personality. I'm a quiet person. I'm a shot. That's not an excuse. Are you with me? And I have always said this to myself. If the Lord is nudging me to go speak to somebody, I know it's not me. Because I would not do that. It had to be of the Lord. I've seen examples in my life. I'll just share a couple. I've told you the story of the first person I ever led to the Lord was a 70-plus-year-old tobacco-chewing, very few-teeth grandmother who could not read. I was, felt like I was led of the Lord to go speak to her son-in-law. He wasn't home. So I decided to ask her, Ma'am, are you a Christian? And we sat down together, and I shared the gospel with her, and I saw that granny get saved. 
I left work early that day to go speak to her son-in-law. I didn't know I had an appointment with Grandma. I remember going through a McDonald's drive-thru. And I had a gospel track in my seat, and I, as I got my food, I asked the teenage girl, I said, I said, here, I said, would you read this when you get a break? And she looked at it, and immediately her eyes filled with tears. And I'm in the drive-thru in my car, and I said, are you a Christian? And she said, with tears flowing, no, sir, but I've been thinking about it. I've recalled writing a handwritten letter to a teenage boy. I wasn't sure of his salvation, but I wrote him a letter to encourage him. And I put in that envelope a gospel track. I received another letter back a week later saying, Pastor Ricky, thank you for writing me that letter. Thank you for putting in that gospel track. He said, because I read it. And I knew I needed Christ to be my Savior. I only mention that because there can be a lot more of those stories if we learn to listen. And if we just not offer excuses and we just say, yes, sir, yes, Lord, and go. And not put it off. Because tomorrow it may not be open. Tomorrow they may not be sitting there reading Isaiah the prophet. Tomorrow they may be too busy. But right then, God is working in an individual that Philip had never met and will never meet again. And the Lord sent him from a great church, a great ministry that is now being started in Samaria to go and reach one Ethiopian eunuch a servant in another part of the world because that man is seeking truth. And the Lord says, Philip can deliver it. Don't you want to be an individual that God says, if I'm going to send someone, I'm going to send Gary because he will listen and he will go. So many of us don't have a story to tell because we're not listening And we're not willing to go. Imagine what God can do if we just say, Lord, I don't I don't know everything, but here I am. And if it's just to give my testimony, use me. And then to go throughout the day, every part of the day, Lord, what is it you want me to do? This is where I am. What can I do? What can I do? Well, Philip ran thither to him in verse 30 and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. None of, us are gonna, none of us are gonna save anyone. Only God can do that, right? But we can be guides. We are called to be guides 
Do you understand what you're reading? I have no idea what I'm reading. Okay, well, let's sit down and let's read it together. Turn your, turn your Bible to Isaiah 53, all right, in your Old Testament. Now, he specifically mentions verses 7 and 8, but let's read Isaiah 53 together. And I will go ahead and tell you this. He's asking later, he says, who is, he says, who is the prophet speaking of? He says, is he speaking of him? Is he speaking of himself or is he speaking of some other man? He mentions that in Acts 8, 34. I'll go ahead and tell you he's speaking of Jesus Christ. Let's read it together, okay? Old Testament prophecy, Isaiah 53, before Christ is born, before Christ has come to this world. He says, the prophet writes, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. We're not attracted to his personal appearance. There's more than that. He says of Christ in verse 3 that he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, and he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed." All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him, on Christ, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify any man, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul into death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was delivered to be crucified. Not because he had done anything wrong, but our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was placed upon him. For our sins, he took, a, he took that cross. He was bruised. He was beaten. Stripes, by his stripes, we were healed. His blood was shed. 
He gave himself to be the atonement for the sin of the world. All the while, it pleased God for this to take place. Because the only hope for any man, any woman, any child was what Jesus was doing upon that cross. He was placed there with transgressors, one on his right and one on his left. One continues to rebuke him. One recognizes that he deserved to be there, but not this man. And he calls out to Jesus and says, Remember me when thou enterest in my kingdom. And he was remembered. And we are remembered. For our sins, all of this was played. For the Ethiopian eunuch's sins was Christ nailed upon that cross. He was buried among the transgressors. He was placed in that tomb that is now empty today. Because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Philip sat down beside him. And he says, well, let's read it together. And back in Acts chapter 8, he sits down with him. It mentions in verse 32 and 33, the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. Christ, Christ never proclaimed his innocence. He knew what he was there for. And his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. He sat down with him and gave him Christ. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speakest thou the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, Well, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You know, Philip could have stayed in Samaria and he could have still participated in the work of God there. But the Lord wanted him to travel a distance by foot because one matters to the Lord as much as many. Can I get an amen? And he answered and said, he, he told him, he says, well, if you believe with your heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And the eunuch commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. What a wonderful picture. They went down into the water, baptized him under the water in the likeness of his death, raised him up to walk in the newness of life. This is the thrust of the message today. 
Let's listen. Let's slow down enough to listen to the Lord. Who can we impact spiritually if we just slow down enough to listen? And for some, you can sit down and you can preach Christ in Isaiah 53. For others, you can just preach Christ in my version. This is what Christ did for me. This is who I was. This is who I am in Christ. This is what sin caused. This is where I was going in sin, a place called hell. But in Christ, I found life, and I found hope, and I found a new life. Can you say amen to that? Can't argue with that. Can't argue with that. Don't lose your influence by just seeking to be a good person. Busy doing church work. Seek to be an influence by following the Spirit of God. Learning to listen and obeying as He leads. In the end, verse 39, when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. Philip was found at Azotus in verse 40, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. And there he raised four God-fearing Christian young ladies and becomes a help to Paul in Acts chapter 21. Their encounter was a short one. But what's the eunuch do in verse 39? He went on his way doing what? Rejoicing. Rejoicing. Next Sunday is Hope Sunday. Who can you invite? Listen. Let the Lord lead. Next Saturday is sowing out seeds. Don't, so, don't be so busy you can't spare an hour and a half to go reach somebody in the community. Come. Join us. Be a part of that. Let's make a difference. Heads bowed, eyes closed.